you have that, you can read with me. We're just going to read verse 6 together. Let us read together. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Let us pray. Father God, it's truly an honor and a privilege to stand before these, your people, Lord, to proclaim your word. Lord, allow me to just be used by you so that someone would see you, Lord, and respond to you. And those that know you, Lord, may be encouraged and be spurred on to do even greater things. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. There was a man who lived in the country, and he knew that he needed to raise some money to acquire more stuff for his life. So he came across a neighbor that had a watermelon, watermelon farm. And he, the man decided he wanted to sell some of these watermelons. So he goes to the farmer and he says, look, I want to take some of your watermelons, I'm going to set up a stand, and I want to sell some watermelons. The farmer said, sure. I will sell you all the watermelons you can take, so you can bring your truck and you can pick up as many as you want. And with that being said, he said, fine. He says, I got all kinds of watermelons. I got big ones, I got small ones, but you can take a truck full, and I'm going to sell them to you for a dollar piece. The guy said, fine. He goes, he takes his truck, and he buys a truck full of watermelons at a dollar piece, big ones, little ones. And he set up shop on a corner out there in the country. Before noon came, the man had sold all of his watermelons. But there was only one issue. He sold them at a dollar piece. So he goes home, and he talks to his wife. He said, she said, what happened? She said, did you have a good day? He said, yeah, I had a good day. She said, did you do well? He said, I sold all the watermelons. I sold them before noon. She said, what's the problem? She says, he says, I don't, I don't really know what the problem is, but I know I need to do something differently. She said, yeah, you need to do something differently. He said, I, I actually really thought about it. I know what I'm going to do differently. She said, what are you going to do? He said, I'm going to buy a bigger truck. <laughs> you see, life is like that all the time because we have problems, we have issues, we have difficulties that we deal with. And more often than not, we're trying to fix a problem that we got without really diagnosing what the problem really is. And when that happens, something happens that we don't usually like, which is it will lead to something called anxiety or stress or worry. Okay? The problem that we have, whatever it is, is not a problem in and of itself. It's just a problem. Okay? The issue that arises from the problem is how do we handle what the problem is? And if it's not handled properly and if it's not handled timely, it will go from a problem to worry to stress. Now, don't misunderstand me, okay? Because we have some problems that require and necessitate our legitimate concern. If you get diagnosed with uh, high blood pressure or heart disease, you or I need to go to the doctor to get something to take care of that, because that's a legitimate concern, okay? But on the continuum of problems and concerns and anxiety, you go from concern is all the way over here, and anxiety is all the way over here. And we can be anywhere on that spectrum, along that bridge, Mm. depending upon how we're dealing with that problem. 
whether we're dealing with it with just concern or whether we've crossed the bridge all the way over to anxiety. So the big question on the floor is, how do you know if you cross that bridge? Well, the way you know if you cross that bridge and have gone from concern to anxiety is if that thing that you've got has gotten you. If, if the thing that you've got has gotten you, you've crossed from concern to anxiety. If, if that issue that you're wrestling with is keeping you up at night, it's got you. And you ain't no longer just concerned, you anxious about it. Now, you may not call it that, but that's what it is. If you're taking a pill to go to sleep at night, it's got you. And you've gone from concern to anxiety. And the Bible teaches us something about it, okay? And the way we have to deal with it is using something called the right stuff, okay? We're going to look at a passage in Philippians in detail, and we're going to talk about the right stuff. Now, the right stuff is broken down into three issues, three principles based upon three verses in Philippians. Because he says in verse 6, be anxious for nothing, mm. but in everything. Somebody say everything. everything. Guess what everything means? Everything means everything. Mm. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Yeah. The first thing we got to do with knowing the right stuff is to pray right. right. It's to pray right. Amen. Now, Paul didn't just say pray because that would be too easy. He took prayer and he broke it down into three parts. The first part, he says, but in everything, by prayer, mm -hmm. by prayer. Mm -hmm. What is prayer? Prayer in this context is just telling God who he is, mm -hmm. okay? Now, I know that sounds simple, but that's sometimes necessary because all prayer is saying is, God, I know who you are. I know what you can do. I know how big you are. I know what, I know what you're all about. And thank you, God, about how great you are. Yeah. If nobody tells you, I'm going to tell you right now how big you are. I'm going to tell you how great you are, because he wants to hear it from us. He wants to hear it from us. It's not that he doesn't know it, but he wants to know that we know it. And so the, the foundation to prayer is recognizing who we're coming to in the first place. That's what prayer looks like. He goes on and he talks about supplication. Supplication gets a little bit more specific. Supplication is telling God specifically what's the issue. It's coming to him with open hands and saying, God, I got this issue and only you can deal with it. Mm -hmm. And I'm trusting you to deal with it. I got these things that are going on in my life that I need you to address. And if you don't address it, it won't get done. Supplication is giving him the specifics of what he needs to do in your life and in my life. Mm -hmm. Because if you look at the word anxious, and the word anxious, the connotation is to be tore apart. Mm -hmm. It's to be pulled apart at the seams. And so if, if we don't handle this thing right, we're, gonna, we're, we're really ripping ourselves apart. So the second part is supplication. The third part is, is different. Okay, he says, with thanksgiving. Mm. With thanksgiving. Yeah. Now, it, it, that may seem like a throw-in, okay? Mm. But let me tell you why thanksgiving in this context is so important. Thanksgiving is so important because it's easy to say thank you when he gave you the land. Okay? It's a little harder to say thank you when the contractors are giving you all holy hell. Yes. Okay? We got to thank him in the good times and in the bad times. Yes. Because thanksgiving is the foundation for more blessings. Yes. 
if you don't thank him for what he's already done, he says, why should I give you more? Why should I give you more? Thanksgiving sets the foundation for what is to come. I went out on a date one time, long, long time ago. Long, 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 long time ago. Long, long time ago. Pre-Sister Paula. First date, first date with a young lady. So I take her to dinner. She didn't like the food. I didn't cook it, but she didn't like the food. And she let me and everybody else know she didn't like the food. Took her to the movie. She didn't like the movie. I didn't make it, but she didn't like it. She let everybody else know around us she didn't like the movie. But I'm a gentleman, okay? So I'm taking her home, and all I can do is just, I can't wait to get out my car, okay? If I wasn't a gentleman, I would have kicked her out while the car was still running. But I'm a gentleman, so I walk her to the door, and something happened that just blew my mind, okay? I walk her to the door, and I'm expecting this will be the last time that I see her. And what blew my mind is she said thank you. She said thank you. Thank you will change things. They will, thank you will change things. When, when he says give thanksgiving to God, he's saying, tell God really thank you before he answered your problem. Before he fixed your problem, tell him thank you. Because thank you will change things. He says, let your requests be made known unto God. Long, long, long time ago. Long, long, long time ago. Let your requests be made known unto God. He said, tell God what you want. And he said, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. He says, God is going to do something with this problem. He, he, he is going to use you and comfort you and give you something that will enable you to deal with your issue. So what is he going to do? He didn't say he's going to take away your issue. Okay? So your issue may still be there. But what he said is he's going to give you the peace of God. Well, what's, what's the peace of God? Well, the best illustration of the peace of God is when Jesus took his disciples and they got into a boat and they were headed to the other side. They had just been doing ministry on this side. And Jesus said, let's go to the other side. Y'all know the story. He gets into the boat with them and they head to the other side. Well, what happens? A storm arises, a big storm. And you know it's a big storm because these, some of these guys were fishermen and they were scared. And they look and they see Jesus doing what? Asleep on the back of the boat. They, they see him asleep on the back of the boat. And they're thinking, we're about to die, and this brother is sleeping on the back of the boat. They awake him up, okay? And they sarcastically say to him, don't you care that we're going to die? Don't you even care? And what does he do? He says, first he addresses the circumstances. He says, peace be still. He addresses the wind and the waves, and then he addresses them. He says, where is your faith? Okay, where is your faith? Now, what he really was saying was, understand, I said we're going to the other side. I didn't say it was going to be a comfortable ride all the way over there, but what I said was, if we go into the other side, we're going to get there. And their response, because they should have had the peace of God, they should have said, if he's sleeping on the boat, I'm going to sleep too. I'm going to sleep too. So that's the peace of God. That's the peace of God. Now, I want you to notice something in verse 8, a, a word that was given. 
Paul says, finally. He says, finally, okay? And it's a big word, but I want you to understand something in this context. He says, finally. When you see the word finally, what you think about is everything that comes before the word is coming first, and everything that comes after the word comes after that, okay? Why is that significant? It's significant because oftentimes when we pray, we wait to the last minute to pray. We, we wait till all else has failed and we pray. Paul says, no, pray first. Pray first because I said finally because that's everything after that comes first, comes next. So finally, so now, of course, there are sometimes we, we, we don't have a choice. We have to pray at the last minute. But generally speaking, we pray first because when the tough times come, we are better prepared to know how to pray if we pray through the good times. So prayer comes first, and it's the first step to getting it right. Pray right. It's the first step to the right stuff. He goes on, and he says, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Meditate on these things. In other words, think right. Think right. Okay, meditate on these things. Now, let me tell you about the word meditate. What the word meditate in, in, the, in, the, in the Hebrew really means to mutter. It means to mutter. It means to, to mutter, okay? That's why in Joshua, God told Joshua, he said in chapter 1, verse 8, he said, the book of this law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate it on it day and night. Okay, so that's how serious this concept of thinking about it is so serious that it goes beyond just the intellectual thought. It goes to muttering. It should be speaking the word of God. Okay, so it's the second part of getting the right stuff is thinking right. So we go from praying right to thinking right. He says, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report if there is any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, think on these things. Yes. Think on these things. Yes. What's unique is that I don't care who you are, I don't care how you are, can nobody tell you how to think? Can nobody, can nobody tell you how to think? Now, we can pay somebody to tell us what they think about what we think, but they can't tell you how to think. If you're in an abusive relationship, no matter who it is, whether it's the, the male that's dominating or the woman that's dominating, if you're in an abusive relationship, that, 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 dominant spate, that dominant spouse or that dominant mate is undoubtedly trying to control your thoughts to get you to do some things the way they want you to do them, but that's just it. They still can't control how you think. And the reason why it's so important to know how to think is because it's gonna govern what we do. We're gonna talk about that in a little bit, okay? But it's a, it's a choice that we make in terms of how we think. It's a choice that we make. Every day we decide how we wanna approach something, how we gonna face it. And the way we approach it has always the connotation is, how is it gonna go? How is it gonna go? You ever been around people that every time you see them, all they do is complain? They, they say, you say to them, uh, it's a nice day today, and their response is, what's so nice about it? What's so nice about it, okay? If, if, if that's the case, if you hang around that person long enough, you might be cheery, but sooner or later, you could be, you could be walking around talking about what's so nice about the day. Okay. That's, that's how your disposition is going to change. 
when he says, whatever things are noble, just, pure, lovely, of a good report, he said, have the mind of Christ. He said, have the mind of Christ, okay? Because that's, that's what's going to change you and me, is the mind of Christ. He goes on and says, anything that is praiseworthy, anything that is praiseworthy, if it's praiseworthy, that's what we ought to be thinking about. Now, whatever it is that you think about is praiseworthy, let me tell you. Anytime, we always can find something praiseworthy. That last breath you took, that's worthy of praise. Because skip a couple breaths and see how much you want to start praising them. Okay? That's praiseworthy. But it's a matter of how we think. It's a matter of our, of our perspective in terms of how we focus on where he's coming from. Okay? And it's more than just the, pos- the, the, the mind of positive thinking. It's not, it's not that. It's not, it's not saying uh, it's raining outside, but you say, well, it's really sunny. No, what it's saying is if it's raining outside, thank God for the rain because he's watering the crops. Okay? It's a matter of perspective. It's like the story of the man that had all the money in the world, but his mother was sick. And she had a rare condition, but the man with all the money knew of a doctor, had heard of a doctor who specialized in her condition. And so the man decided, you know what, I'm going to take my wife, I mean my mother, to see this guy and see what he can do. The doctor said, you know what, I've treated cases like this before, and I'm not ashamed to say I'm the best in my field, but this is going to be a challenge. But I'm pretty confident things will work out. He says, fine. Set up for the operation. She has the operation. Takes a long time. He comes out meets with, meets with the doctor, comes out and meets with the man. Doctor says, I got good news and bad news. He says, what's the good news? He says, the good news is the operation re- went really, really well. I, I, I did some of my best surgical sutures on her. I was able to get all the disease tissue out of her. And, and it was a textbook case of how things are to go. He said, oh, that's great news. So what's the bad news? He said, the bad news is she died. Okay? It's, it's all about perspective. It's all about perspective, how you see things. Okay? You can see things one way, but if you choose to see them in the light of how powerful he is, and you see, choose to see them from the standpoint of being praiseworthy, that will change the perspective of things. So we go from pray right, we go to think right. He says in verse 9, the things which you learned and received and heard in me and saw in me, these do. These do. He said, live right. He said, live right. We go from pray right to think right to live right. The things which you learned and received, the things which you learned and received, now, pastor was gracious enough to allow me to preside over the Bible study this past week. And we had a good time. We had a good time. We talked about, we talked about Rahab, the harlot, and we learned a lot about her. And, and it was great. It was great learning about her. But if that's where it stops, if it only stops at learning, then the point is missed. Okay? That's why he said learned and received. If we don't receive in our spirit what God is trying to tell us from the story, it's just another story. It's just another story, okay? If we don't receive in our heart what God is 
telling us about the story of Rahab or any other stories that he's given us, then we're missing the mark. So it's not enough to just learn. We got to receive it. And you got to have an open heart. If you don't receive it, then you miss the mark. He goes on and he says that you heard and saw in me. These do, that you heard and saw in me. It's a nice thing to hear a good sermon. Everybody loves to hear a good sermon. Everybody likes to get up and walk out and hear a good sermon. After hearing a good sermon, they like to get up and leave. But Paul says there's something even more important. It's what you see in me. Okay? From the pulpit to the door, what matters most is what people see in us. Is what people see in us. We just heard about getting land. That's a wonderful thing. We're going to build a nice building on it, okay? We're going to attract people, and some people are going to come just to see the building. Amen. We want to have an impact on those that come. We want to have an impact on those in the community. And the only way we have an impact on them is by letting our light shine yeah, so man. that they see who we are and what God looks like in us. Yeah, now, I'm not talking about the you that showed up today. The you that showed up today, excuse me, all on your, you're all on your best behavior. I don't have to know you to know that. You're on your best behavior. The, the one I'm talking about is the one who shows up when you think ain't nobody looking. Because that's the real you. That's the real you. People need to see us and see in us those virtues that Paul talked about. Because if we pray right, if we think right, we're going to live right. We're going to live right. You don't have to try to live right. You're going to live right. Now, I like how he ends this. As a matter of fact, I love how he ends this. He says, the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace will be with you. I love it because it reminds me of the promises of God. And we all know that all throughout Scripture, God promises us stuff. But more often than not, we miss the promises. Yeah. We miss the promises. And guess what? You can't claim something that you don't know exists. Amen. Amen. Mm. Good. That's good. Malachi 3.10 says what? Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so that there may be meat in my house. God says, Try me in this. Try me in this. Okay? He's issuing a personal challenge to try me in this and see if I don't open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that you ain't going to have room enough to receive. That's a promise. <laughs> That's a promise. So what that ought to look like for you and me is when we are filling out our checks or whatever it is we're given for tithes, we ought to be huddled around our table and saying, Lord, I'm adhering to your command. Yeah. I'm giving as you told me to give. Yeah. But you know my situation. Yeah. You know what I stand in need of. Yeah. So now I'm imploring you to pull me out a blessing yeah. that I can't receive. Yeah. So that you can challenge God to take him at his word. Because yeah. guess what? He ain't going to uh, fail to keep his word. Yeah. He's going to always keep his word. Yeah. But if you don't know where the promises exist, you can't plead to the promises. Yeah. Now the good news is, you don't do it just because it's the promise. You do it because it's the right thing to do. The promise is just a side benefit. 
So I love it because he says, the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace will be with you. Verse 7 says the peace of God. Verse 9 says the God of peace. Two different things. The peace of God is how he is. God of peace is who he is. Okay? God don't like confusion. That's why he's a God of peace. But he says, I will be with you. That's powerful. That means I will walk with you. I will walk with you. Okay? That's powerful stuff. I will walk with you. Why is it powerful? I know some of you are saying, he says he's always going to be with you, never going to leave you or forsake you. So how is that not the same thing? Well, it's not the same thing. Okay? It's not the same thing. It's like you having a child. And with a child that you got, you raise him, and you teach him as he's young to save, to give, to be responsible with his money. Okay? And he gets to the point where he's in his 30s. And he's never learned a lesson, so he's still squandering money, doesn't give as he should. So he doesn't have the kind of credit that he should have, but he has a car. He has a job, okay? But he's not happy with his car, so he wants another car. And he comes to you, and he says, I want you to co-sign on another car for me. Now, if you're in your right mind, you ain't co-signing on that car. (laughs) Because you ain't walking with him in that regard. You still love him. You still ain't never going to forsake him, but you just ain't walking with him. So the issue is to get God to walk with us. The issue is to get him to walk with us. And he says, if we pray right, if we think right, if we live right, he's going to walk with us. He's going to walk with us. That's the promise he's given here. Now, the reason why it's important to understand this is because as I prepared this study for you, I found something that I thought was real important, and I want to share it with you now. So if you can, turn with me to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, where we're going to be introduced to a man that most of us know by the name of Moses. We know Moses because his greatness, but he didn't always start out great. And even when he started off well, he had some detours that he had to take. But what we're going to see here in chapter 3 is God's first real encounter with Moses and what that looked like. Starting in verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert, and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. First thing you need to know about that is to understand what Moses was doing. Moses was doing the job that he had at the time. Now, I can assure you it wasn't probably the, guy, the, the job that Moses thought he would have, but nonetheless, it was the job that he had. Something happened there, verse 3. Verse 2, I'm sorry. 
And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flame of the fire in the midst of a bush. So Moses is taking care of the flock of his father-in-law. And God appears to him. And God appears to him, we know, because God has a job for him. And that's, that's good news. That's good news. The good news is some of you are sitting out there and you're trying to get promoted. You're looking for another opportunity. And you're doing something that you ain't satisfied with. Well, the good news is God knows right where you are. He knows right where, he's not looking for you. He knows right where you are. And the better news is God is the only one that can promote you when you didn't even put in for the job. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, he said, here I am. Then he said, do not draw near into this place. Take off your sandals, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. He introduces himself to Moses and says, this is who I am. Verse 7, the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. I have heard their prayers. I have heard their prayers. Verse 8. So, I have come down. Let me say that again. So, I have come down. (laughs) I have come down. To deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. God says, I got a job for you. I got a job for you. Come now, therefore, I will, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people the children of Israel out of Egypt. I got a job for you. And guess what, Mo? It's a big job. It's a big job. It ain't an ordinary job, but I got a job for you. Moses' response in verse 11 is the response that we all would have. Moses said to God, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? How in the world am I going to get this done? How, how can I get... Even though you've given me the job, I'm not going to get it done. Who am I? God's response, verse 12. The first thing God said to Moses, the first thing, he says, I will certainly be with you. I will certainly be with you. That's all you need to know. <laughs> That's all you need to know. You do the job, I'm going to be with you. And if I'm with you, guess what? The job is going to get done. Verse 8, verse 12 I have come down, and I will certainly be with you. I have come down, and I will certainly be with you. We sit around talking about what we can't do, but we don't, we don't recognize we don't want him to walk with us. We don't want him to walk with us. We want him in the vicinity, but we don't want him to walk with us. 
Because if he's in the vicinity, then you and I can do what we want to do. But if he's walking with us, he's only walking with us because we're doing what he commanded us to do. And if we do what he commanded us to do, he's going to walk with us. And guess what? That changes everything. That changes everything. It is a game changer when he's walking with you. That's why he told Moses, I will certainly be with you. He didn't tell him how he was going to do it at this time. He didn't tell him what steps were going to have to be taken because that wasn't really what mattered. What mattered is his presence. But what do we go looking for? We go looking for his power. We go looking for his power. And his power is always, 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 always tied to his presence. You can't have his power without his presence. Because he ain't that kind of guy. He don't roll like that. He ain't giving you power without having him. Many of you know that I travel professionally for my job, and a lot of times I'm going for months at a time. And it's, it's tough sometimes, but I like to eat, so I like to go and make money, so I do my job. And sometimes my wife will come with me, and other times she'll stay, depending upon where I'm going, because she gets to pick and choose which one she want to go with me on. But a couple years ago, I had to go to California. And my wife wanted to turn a sitting room off of the edge of my bedroom into a personal closet of hers. And I was okay with it. But I was going to California, so I didn't have time to even get started. So I asked her to wait. I love my wife, but she ain't the most patient person in the world. So she said, I ain't waiting. I'm going to California, so I said, okay. So I get out to California, and I hear from her periodically about this transformation of this closet that she's doing. Now, of course, she says she doesn't want to share the finished product before it's done, so I can't even get pictures. But the real challenge came one day when she called me and asked me which electrical breaker box turned off the light in the closet. And I start to figure out why is she trying to mess with electric? This is somebody who I barely can get to turn the light off, but she wants to know which breaker box. And I said, I don't know. I know I have marked some. I marked the kitchen lights, and I marked the dining room lights or whatever. But the closet, I, ain't, you know, I don't know. She said, OK. She calls me back a little bit later. And she says, I found it. I said, OK. Calls me back right away. A little later, I don't have no in the house. <laughs> now, I know before I left, I had lights. And I know I should have had lights because I paid the electric bill. But all I am is in California, so all I can do is pray. All I can do is pray. I'm 3,000 miles away. Call me back later. Says she got it taken care of. Okay. Thank you, God. A couple weeks later, I get to come home. I come home and I see what she's done in the closet. She's transformed the closet. It looks nice. It looks nice. But I'm real fixated on what's the deal with this light situation. <laughs> and when I look, she's installed a motion sensor on the light switch. And I love this thing. You know why I love this thing? Because... When you walk in, 
lights on. And when you walk out, the lights are out. When you walk in, you got power. When you walk out, God said, you got problems. You think it's all about you. You think you don't see nothing. He says, I don't see nothing because you ain't walking. You ain't walking in light of what I told you. If you walk in light of what I told you, you will see my power. But you got to move. You got to move. You got to move. Now, what you ought to know is that the power was not in the light switch. The power is inside the wall. Okay. So she didn't have to change any wiring because the power was already there. All she did was switch the mechanism by which the power is displayed. God said, you trying to find this on your own. You keep trying to do this by yourself. He's saying, I want you to trust me and take me at my word and see my power and see how this thing is supposed to work. See how this thing is supposed to work. So it leads to a problem. Why is it that it's so difficult to do? Why is it so difficult for us to do this? We talk about the right stuff. We talk about praying right. We talk about thinking right. We talk about living right. But why is it so challenging for us to adhere to this, to do this? Okay? I'm going to start a verse, and y'all join in when you think you know the verse. Therefore, if any man be in Christ... He is old. Oh, wow. That sounds good. Y'all sound real spiritual. Y'all sound like y'all know what you're talking about. Okay. But let me tell you why that, problem, that, that verse is a problem for most of us. Okay? Because we misunderstand the context of what that verse is about. Many of us struggle with the right stuff praying right, thinking right, living right, because of that verse. We often think that the moment we accept salvation, that everything has changed, and everything Nothing could be furthest from the truth. Some things have changed, but not everything. What's changed? The moment we accept Christ, Christ puts, God puts into us a little seed form, a little bit of him, a little bit of him, okay? So what has to happen? That seed has to be nurtured. That seed has to grow. That seed has to mature. And if that seed matures, then what you become is a mature Christian. Okay? But if we don't nourish that seed, if we don't develop that seed, we say amen and hallelujah all the right times, but nothing else don't change. And you know how you know nothing else changes? Because he says, if any man is in, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, because in, yeah. in us, in you, and in me, we still got the same nonsense going on. We still got the same baggage that we brought to conversion, okay? It's still there. It's still there. That's why it's so hard. But what that, what that looks like is positionally, we're different. Positionally, we're different. Positionally meaning when God the Father looked at us before we knew Christ, Guess what he saw? He saw us. He saw us all messed up, all jacked up, all of whatever we got. When we accept Christ, when he looks at us, guess what he sees? 
He sees Jesus. <laughs> he ain't looking at you no more. It, it, ain't, it ain't that you ain't still all messed up. He just ain't looking at you. Positionally, you're different. The position how he sees us is different. Practically, we're still the same. Practically, we're still the same. That's why we often still do the same mess, still do still the same jacked up things we used to do, because practically, we're still the same. So what makes the difference? The difference is made in how well we grow the new man. The more we mature that seed that he put in us, the more we're going to look different than we did before. So what do we often settle on doing? Well, we often settle on trying to fix the old man. We try to become the best version of our old self that we can be. And we think that's enough. We think that's enough. We, we try to put lipstick on a pig and think we're okay. And that's like buying watermelons at a dollar piece, selling them at a dollar piece, and then buying a big truck to think that's going to make up the difference. It ain't going to do it. It ain't going to do it. It ain't going to do it. We got to do something different. And the difference is we got to feed the new man. And how do we feed the new man? We feed the new man with his word with the truth of his word. When you look out and see a hawk flying around, what you will often see is a hawk flying in circles. You'll see a hawk flying in circles. And I'm challenging you, the next time you're out and you see this, what you will see is the hawk flying in circles, but what you will never see when that hawk is flying in circles you will never see the hawk flapping his wings. You'll see the hawk flying in circles, but you won't see him flapping his wings when he's flying in a circle. And the reason that is, is that hawk has caught a thermal. That hawk has caught a thermal. Now, what the thermal is, is a narrow column of rising air that the hawk can get into, and the hawk can just go around and around Staying in this thermal, so the hawk don't got to use his own energy. Okay, so you don't see the wings flapping, because the hawk is being held up by something else called a thermal. Now, later on, what you also see is you'll see other hawks join that hawk, and they're not joining the hawk just because they want you to see them flying around in a circle. They join in that hawk because they go on there because they know because that hawk is there. That's where the thermal's at. So you will see them flying around, and you won't see them flapping their wings because that's where the thermal is, and that's what's holding them up. God is saying to you and me today, catch the thermal. Catch the thermal. He says, you've been trying to do this all by yourself. You've been trying to handle it on your own. You've been trying to do it your way, and you need to catch the thermal. The thermal is my word. My word will hold you up but you got to obey it. you gotta, you got to take me at my word. You say, well, I don't know where the thermal's at. Look for your brothers and sisters that are flying around that, that ain't using too much wind. And join them, because that's where the thermal's at. That's where the thermal's at. And guess what? Guess what? Then you will do the right stuff. Then you will do the right stuff. You will be able to pray right. You will be able to think right. And most importantly, you'll be able to live right. God is looking for us to make an example unto the world. He's saying, if I can use you, if I can use you, I will use you, and the world will see how differently 
what somebody in my hands looks like under my control. And guess what? Things will happen. Things will happen that you didn't think could happen because God is in control as we stand. Let us pray. Father God, we come before you as humbly as we know how, Lord, just thanking you for your, your word.